Galaxy fans, this is Jessica coming to you with a very special episode. All of the guys are stuck at work, and I have author Kevin Scott all to myself for the next uh, little while. So we are going to have uh, a great time today talking about uh, a, a variety of Kevin's um, projects and uh, what's next for him. So um, stay tuned, and I think that we're going to have a great day today. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, now, I, I think that um, right now, you have a lot that's still going on with the High Republic, correct? You're still working on an upcoming book that's going to be coming out in spring of next year. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yep. Um, so I've got um, Path of Vengeance coming out in spring where I'm working on the final edits of that. And I'm currently writing issue 10 of the second run of the Marvel comic that closes out um, phase two. Right, right. The comics as well. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me. You are just so uh, versatile with, with everything that you, you've done. I don't know if there's another author who has done quite as much as you in terms of audio dramas, uh, novels, both for adults, um, young adult comics. I mean, where do you find yourself um, most at home? Or do you like being able to have such a wide variety of what you do? Well, I do like shifting from medium to medium. I, mean, I came from audio drama. That was a, what I originally started doing way back when, about 20 odd years ago, because over in the UK, we have a big audio drama scene still. Um, and it's starting to pick up in the States, which I'm really happy about. Um, but, you know, so 20 years ago, I was writing Doctor Who audio drama before the TV show came back when it was still the old Doctors and the old series. Um, so audio drama is like going home whenever I get a chance to write it. And, and from there, I moved into comics and, and then eventually prose. Um, I think out of all of them, prose was the one that I find the hardest. Um, uh, and just the sense of I'm on my own in it, with it. So you obviously have your editors and, and the team you're working with. And with the High Republic, I have the other authors as well. But I like being a part of a team. And that's what comics and, and TV and, and audio drama give me. Um, because it's a collaboration in the truest sense of the word. So um, so they're probably my happy places. Um, I think as soon as I slip into a comic writing mode, I'm probably ha at the happiest, really. I love that. You know, it, that actually leads into some questions that I had. Um, I, I work in publishing. I'm a copy editor mm -hmm. by trade. Um, for those who really don't think much about that side of this business, what is it about, um, you know, what makes a good editor, especially in this process when you're working with the High Republic, where you have so many different um, fingers in the pot? Well, first of all, I say a good copy editor is worth their weight in gold because, you know, they just make authors look good. And we all need copy editors, no matter what writer, no matter what they say, we all need it. And um, so before I was working in, in fiction, I, I was a magazine editor and my production editor, which is the equivalent of a, a copy editor for magazines, 
they I, I lived by them because they're the ones who caught everything um so from copyright so you know I, I love someone who works along with the tone of the of the manuscript that you're working on um and really gets that and that's always um, a good thing to have and, and sometimes you you have little bits of going back and forth saying well no that's not quite what i was meaning but you know um most of the time it, it's bang on the money for an editor i think a good editor in the sense of a, of a you know a line editor um is someone who can ask the right questions at the right time that makes you think about what you're doing because as a writer especially when you're with you're dealing with prose you find yourself going down a road and you become so so set on what you're doing with the story um and especially with something like star wars or licensed fiction when you have to outline you know more in a more extreme way than you might do on your own material um you know so because so many different eyes have to see it that you become really set on that that road you're traveling um and means that sometimes you just don't see things you know you don't see things that are obvious that you need a, a, a third party to come in an editor to come in look at the look at the text and go well, hang on a minute what about this you know if you said that three chapters back you know what should you be doing now with these characters would that character say that but does that not contradict what they said earlier and you're so close to it sometimes you just don't get to see um to see you know you can't see the wood for the tree to totally mix my metaphors this is why i need to um and yeah it's, it's those questions and, and again there's always a healthy debate i think um you have as a writer you have to sometimes go well, you know what the hills that i'm going to die on which the you know which are the points i'm going to say no this is what it should be this is what i'm feeling this is where i think it, the story will go um and other times you have to say you know fair enough it's a shared universe it's something we're all working with especially in the high republic when there's so many different creators um you have to make compromises and most of the time i would say the compromises lead to the better ideas so and that's something i've thought throughout the high republic when we've had moments when say justine will be doing one thing in, in one book i'll be doing another in, in in another book and we have the moment when you know she says I'm, i need my character here and i go but i need that character there um and we come up with an idea that's usually much better than the individual ideas that we had of how to solve that problem. And I mean, that's what being a writer is all about. It's about problem solving and thinking on your feet, especially in a group like this, when everything's moving so quickly, there's so many different moving parts, but there's so much story going on, um, you know, to the point now that at the beginning, we were over everything and we still do read everything, but you can't be on it, everything at the, you know, exactly the same time as the stuff you're working on. And quite often we write things out of order. So, you know, someone could be writing a book that ties into something in Path of Vengeance, but, you know, they wrote it before I, I got to write that part in the book. So, you know, we have we have these these conversations that are ongoing and the editor is the one in the middle of this, holding it all together and, and keeping us on the straight and narrow. Um, and and yeah, I, I think it, we, we should we don't speak about the editors enough in this project because they, you know, with Mike as well, Mike Seglane, who's the mastermind of it all. Um, yeah, without them, it'll be, there will be so many things that would go awry because, you know, they, they're the ones who are, are seeing everything, they're seeing the bigger picture. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, with the High Republic, with having both the, the adult novels and the young adult novels, those are published by different publishers, correct? So does yes. that add a different wrinkle to, I mean, again, even more hands in the pot, all kind of working on the same material, but how does that work? Well, I mean, what happens is, I and mean, we've just had an, ex an ex um, experience of recently, um, Lydia's Del Rey novel and The Path of Vengeance 
run alongside each other at certain points so we had a massive um you know email chain with all the editors from the disney side all the editors from the del rey side on it me and lydia you know talking through some people from story group and then we had a a big google doc that you know had all you know we we're trying to work out the various events work in the right time um so for both novels to work um and it was just everyone having a voice in that you know so you do see a lot of um coordination between the different publishing houses because that's the joy of this project and also what makes it so daunting is that we have so many different publishers involved you know and then you add in people like insight public you know now doing books as well and and it's growing all the time. The entire initiative is growing all the time. So it's becoming more complicated to hold it all together. But, um, you know, touch wood at the minute, we, we've succeeded. Lovely. Well, I could talk to you about publishing all day, but I know that <laughs> other people probably want to talk a little bit more about um, some of the, the actual projects that you've worked on. So, okay. Um, I mean, why don't we start with the High Republic? And I mean, this, mm -hmm. this has just been such a massive uh, uh, project and, and uh, so amazing to see the fandom spring up around it, uh, cosplay at conventions and all of these things. Um, what's been your favorite part of, of seeing the response to the High Republic? I think it was, it's that, um, seeing going to celebration at the beginning of this year, which just seems like it seems some days it seems like it was two days ago and other times it just seems to be a lifetime ago um and not really knowing what the response would be and i've said this before in interviews and i hope people don't get me bored of me saying it but the panel we did when four thousand people turned up to the, to listen to the high republic talk about the high republic that's a book and comics panel that doesn't happen at things like celebration you know so we were on the second biggest stage you know you got obi-wan going on on stage one and then us on, on on the second stage and that's phenomenal for a book series you know and a comic series and I think that was the moment that we're a we again we were all like oh god this really does mean a lot to people you know uh, and because it all ha happened because of the pandemic and because of everything that, that you know that went on in the world <laughs> over the previous year a lot of it happened in a vacuum for us and all we saw was the online stuff um and again that had two sides to it. You had some really strong response um, and, and support. And then you had the other side of online fandom, um, which, you know, is sometimes more problematic. And so you hadn't, we had no idea really how it was gonna land. And I remember we did a, we did a, a costume, a, a, a cosplayer competition, and we didn't know if that was a good or not, idea or not, because we didn't know if anyone would turn up. You know, we didn't know if it was going to be us standing there with three Ahsokas and a Luke Skywalker, um, you know, and then suddenly you started to see people posting about how they're making costumes and you thought, well, there's going to be a couple. And then that day we were still giddy because we were surrounded by people dressed as, you know, all the Starlight um, Jedi and, and there's a guy dressed in head to toe latex for skier. Um, and even that, I looked at him when I first saw him, I thought, oh, he's just wearing a Bosque mask. And then I got closer. I, no, that's literally Ario's design for Skier. And, you know, and he molded this mask. And so to have people spending so much time, I mean, I'm always in awe of fan art. I'm always in awe of cosplayers because it takes them a lot longer to build those um, costumes than it does to get me to write about those characters, you know. So they are spending hours and hours and hours and hours of time living with those characters, living in that world, creating these, stunning costumes that I wouldn't have a clue where to start um so yeah I think it, so many things in in that um in that convention were special and it, it it really brought home to us what this meant not just to us um but to other people who are enjoying it too right is there anybody who you've never seen cosplayed that you'd like to see cosplayed 
Well, I'm looking forward to seeing some people from Phase Two. Uh, I start. I saw earlier on Twitter people are starting. Tay Serik is one of the characters in the comic. Um, people are saying they're starting to find weeks that could be a bit like Tay, and so I can't wait to see um, Tay um, cosplay. Uh, and Chancellor So, I would really like to see cosplay, but only if she had her two big cats with her. <laughs> well, I can, so, I can, know. I can let you know that hopefully that that will be happening at Celebration next year. I have many plans in the works for both of well, those things. So. Oh, well, there you go. That's good to know. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait for celebration next year. And also it's on my home turf. Mm -hmm. So for once, I won't be jet lagged and I'll be able to point and laugh at everyone who is um, on, on the team because usually that's what they do to me. Yep. So, um, so yeah, my first ever celebration was, was, at, was London. Um, and so it's, yeah, it feels good that it's coming back. Yeah, it's going to, I'm, I'm so excited. This is going to be the first time that I've, um, well, I, I went to one um, convention, smaller convention this last spring, but this is going to be the big one and I'm so excited to be able to see everybody and and um, connect with so many people online what a what a great opportunity to be able to exactly. find your communities and uh, online in person um and now I, I am gonna gonna have to push you since I I do love uh Lena so much and mm -hmm. I, I I've I've heard you speak in other interviews and posts online you know uh, talking about um your own thoughts kind of on the the political side of everything going on during that phase of the High Republic. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it, it sounds like, you know, that's something that really intrigues you in the same way that intrigues me. Um, and, you know, for, for me, what I loved so much about Rising Storm, which is an absolute masterpiece, by the way. Thank you. Um, but uh, what intrigues me so much is that moment at the end where we see Lena ask Stellan to take over the response to the Nile. And that where, where, where the, there's just that moment where you go, oh, you know, this is we know where this leads. And regardless of why she did it or or how sincere she was, we see how that ends up being abused. And I'm just wondering if you can speak any more to your thoughts behind, um, you know, that that turn and uh, the significance that it has in there. Sure. I mean, I, th I find Lena fascinating um because like all politicians i mean no politician can make a decision that's either you know totally good or totally bad and there are plenty of politicians who try but you know everything they do especially when you get to that level of power there's always going to be ramifications and her attitude and her intention is so noble and she sees it through with such a passion that there have been people who've got hurt along the way and, and I think one of the things that I've been so interested with the High Republic is looking at that idea of the compete hubris of saying well everything's going to be all right you know and the one thing Star Wars does tell us is that you know history is cyclical and that you know things happen over and over again and if you're not careful things can rise and things can fall and so we've been able to explore some of that with the High Republic because again yeah we go into it and it is a golden era, you know, a period when the Jedi have never had to fight, really. You know, when a Jedi can walk into a room, not light their saber and still be respected. And then suddenly they find themselves in a situation when they have a bunch of people who don't respect them at all. And some of them know, can cope with it and some of them really can't. And I think that's what excited me so much about the era. And again, seeing seeing Lena and with her great works and everything she wants to do and what she wants to do is really good you know she's literally talking about communication and I know there's been a lot of 
um, conversation around her and her policies and imperialism and all those kind of things. And that's absolutely something we wanted to, mm -hmm. to touch upon and, and let people make their own mind up as well. You know, hopefully so far, um, we, we've not had any time when we've had a, a character turn around and go, well, this is the way it is. Because, you know, we're putting these stories out so people can look at history through the eyes of, of what we're doing as well and, and look at look at the characters look at politicians look at states people and see what they have to go with and yeah there was a a big debate about tier Toon in um, the rising storm because i was very passionate that he had to be in there and there were certain members of the group and story and story and, and editors who were like well we're not sure we should have a character who's being that critical at the high republic i was like exactly we need someone that critical because yeah. They're doing a big republic fair in the middle of a terrorist attack, you know, a, a period of terrorist attacks. So you need someone because then it, it's otherwise it's not. It's utopian without any responsibility. And so for me, that was um, I would never say that they shouldn't have had the republic fair. Perhaps, you know, a lot of people would seeing what happened there. But I was, you know, again, I wanted to look at the fact that they were so convinced they had everything under control um, and it shows and an arrogance and a hubris in the Republic, in the Jedi, which is quite different to the, 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 you know, similar kind of things that we see in the prequel, you know, the Jedi in a very different space. And I don't think it's so much the Jedi are arrogant without, you know, they've never seen this before. You know, there's an entire generation of Jedi who are just not used to this kind of warfare. They're not used to a Star War. It, it's just something that hasn't happened to most of their lives. Um, and so, I, yeah, that's why I get excited about this era, because you can really explore how those people cope or don't cope in the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I just really love that you pushed for Tia Toon to be in there. I love that, you know, just because we're billing this era as a golden age doesn't mean that there's not differing opinions, doesn't mean that, you know, if, for every person who hopes that they're the hero in their own story, they are the the villain or the, at least the antagonist in someone else's. And so I yeah. think that it's it's so good to be able to see that. And then to also see, you know, ultimately where Lena decides to go. I mean, you mentioned, you know, um, the fact that the Jedi aren't, they're not used to this kind of warfare, but it's striking to me that she looks at Stellan and especially what he was able to do during the fair. And she, you know, she, she's telling him that she sees this, this light and this hope and this, this, this thing in him that she believes the galaxy needs. But at the same time, she's making the decision not to form a, a galactic military mm. and i mean is is there a reason why she feels like oh the jedi are not warriors but this is the way to go for me personally i think it's exactly you know it's the fact that, that she isn't asking she's asking a group of protectors to help she isn't asking a group of warriors who you know you know she looks at people like tia and i was again i was very keen to add the section later on in the book spoilers for anyone read it sorry when he you know tia Toon isn't a baddie you know, he, he, isn't, he, he isn't even, yeah, there's part of him that will, if he set up an army, his, his entire planet would do well out of it. But he's doing it, again, for the best of intentions, as we see later on. You know, he's, he's got nothing against the Jedi. He just doesn't think they're right for the job. Um, right. Whereas Leah, uh, sorry, um, um, Lena absolutely has put her faith in, in Stellan. And I think a lot of it is because of her relationship with Stellan that is blossoming through that entire time and what she's seen of him. And it gave us a great chance. I mean, again, Stellan's entire arc 
was about him trying to work out what he was comfortable with and you know and and out of all of the characters perhaps he's the one who struggled the most as we saw um and you know i think all three of those um firebrands as they were known when they were were padawans they've all struggled with you know the role they've suddenly got in the in in the galaxy and absolutely yeah it was absolutely the idea of a, a jedi suddenly find himself with being a a poster boy and you know and being given this responsibility how would he cope and you know and we sort of see that he sort of coped okay but you know it, it, again we do see in um in tempest runner as, and various other things as well that it's not just the jedi you know the jedi aren't just swooping in vectors they are there and whilst tenant stellan is very and this is probably me being a bit naughty um very clear to say we are not generals and we will never be you know um they are there to guide and it, but the republic forces um are still there and again we were trying to build in the idea that every every planet would have their own defense force which would then work together it all sort of ties into the we are a we are the republic there is obviously the we have to deal with the canon issue that there can't be a standard army because we know mm -hmm. from the prequels there hadn't been one so again we were trying to find ways of what would the republic do um and we're going to see that sort of moving forward through the initiative as well you know as situations change and they become you know and uh, after the events of Charles's uh, Eye of the Storm comic, you know, where the galaxy is completely rewritten. Um, yeah. How is the Republic going to cope with that? You know, so I think those are really interesting questions. Um, and yeah, they're the ones that always fascinate me. Yeah, me too. Um, it it'll, will be very interesting to see, you know, again, from where I come from, you know, Lena started with such great hopes. And mm. then at the end of, of uh, that phase, I mean, wow, it's even an interesting question to ask, you know, what is her legacy? You know, where is she going? Because she's just been dealt a really bad hand when it comes to having all of these hopes and dreams and aspirations. And then here comes Markian Rowe, who uh, is yeah. uh, is not going to let that stand. So no. I, I can't wait to to hear all about what you guys have planned for all of that. Well, yeah, obviously I can't speak about any of it, but um, I mean, again, the thing, a lot of people, I think, got to the end of phase one and they were like, what? You know, and 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 we obviously we we had launched, we had to, this was a golden age, and we, but it's obviously Star Wars as well. It's, the clue is in the title, you know, it wasn't just going to be people baking pastries for the entire run, you know, even right. though there is quite a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got to think of, you know, that's the it's the midway through it's the midpoint for a story you know it's it's the it's the darkest time so um the jedi and the republic have been literally brought to their knees and, and now it's where we get to see you know who does stand afterwards you know and again at the end of the comic and i don't want to give too much too many spoilers away for people who haven't read it avar has really gone through it as well and avar is really struggling with what her role is and you know starting off the um the the phase is the, the hero of Hetzel you know she's it's a very different Ava that we leave at the end yeah. of phase one and so um yeah I mean I, I'm really looking forward to telling the continuing the stories of those characters and 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 seeing where they are and, and you know I think there's going to be some surprises along the way well we can't wait to hear it now Kev I'm just going to stop just for a minute I have to plug my computer and otherwise it's going to die so we'll All right, no cut worries. this out just out of curiosity have you seen Stellan's lightsaber in uh, No. Oh my heavens. That's I'm hoping that there will be a way that I can get that to celebration too. Because yeah, yeah, I that's think incredible. that would be lots of fun. So someone sent me a um a kit, um instructions to make a Lego 
Stalin. So that might be my Christmas oh. project. No, Lego um, Saber. So that might be my my Christmas project. And it bends in as well. So um, I'm looking forward to building that. Perfect. I love that. All right. Well, let's uh, let's keep going and uh, move on. I'd also I'd love to talk to you about Dooku, especially mm -hmm. since we recently um, uh, got uh, Tales of the Jedi, which yep. adds so much to his story. And you know, I know that there's a lot of conversation about how all of these um, story pieces fit together. It's really yep. striking to me, though, that as as these questions of canon and just you know how how much of a priority the 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 novels the auto audio dramas are being given i mean they didn't decide to redo dooku's story of of finding out that he's a serenian noble they didn't do the story of him leaving the order so i mean those those to me feel like just just so ripe and juicy with the uh, with opportunities that the fact that they really stayed away from there I, I had no problem with with looking at that and saying all of this goes together, even if it isn't being explicitly made clear. How did you see it as you watched? I mean, I, I loved it. I mean, I, I have a I have a strange um, relationship with canon, and again, yeah. I think that comes from obviously it comes from my job. It comes from my other fandoms. I mentioned Doctor Who earlier on. Doctor Who has the 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 loosest canon and there is no canon in Doctor yeah. Who you know it, history is literally rewritten all the time I, I wrote a co-wrote a big chunky book with um George Mann and Justin Richards another Doctor Who um writer the definitive history of the Dalek <laughs> species which is impossible because it's constantly changing and I mean they had three origin stories you know which we made work together you know and that's the fun of what we do um but again from being a fan and a comic fan as well, you know, I'm used to continuities being rewritten, you know, and 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 then I'm very much of the opinion, well, that doesn't mean that story doesn't exist because it exists for me. And, you know, and I mean, I think anyone who talks to me about Star Wars knows how much I love, you know, the, the original Marvel run, knows how much yeah. I love the EU. Um, and yeah, those stories are just as important to me now as they were when they were canon. Um, but yeah, so I, I watched it, you know, I'd, I'd had a few conversations with people and I knew some of the stuff that was coming up, but I watched it thinking, well, this could, you know, this could change things. And, and, and especially because there'll be more people watching that than would ever have read yeah. Dooku Jedi Lost or, or listened to the audio. And I think that's something we always have to bear in mind that, and that's, let's face it, one of the reasons the big sort of change in canon happened because, you know, yep. it would be really hard for a new audience to go and see a Star Wars film and suddenly be, have to be filled in, 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 you know, 30 years of, of, of continuity um and we see it time and time again with i mean star trek is constantly doing it constantly having to rewrite its canon because a new show comes out a new film comes out um and and yeah so it, it's really it's a really old one i mean i was really pleased that it did fit so well you know and you could i mean sometimes i think you have to squint a bit but you know there was there was ways of, of fitting it in that meant that if you'd never read the book or never listened to the audio it didn't matter but if you had you know you could make it you could still see it's all the same same timeline um and and yeah and i and also love the fact that you know they dealt with new things we you know we get to see that incredible last episode and we see the moment i mean one of the things we very personally didn't do in dooku lost um, jedi lost sorry was to tell tell the story of his fault 
you know, and, and the moment that he really falls and he really goes beyond the point of no return. Um, and that's what they got to show in that in that animation. And boy, was it powerful. And so, you know, I'm very proud to be, a you know, a small part in Dooku's development. Um, and it's so heartening to have so many people get in touch or say online or, or whatever that, you know, that they got a lot more out of it because they've listened to the audio. Yeah. So they, you know, um, and the combination of obviously Christopher Lee's masterful um, portrayal in the prequels, the incredible work that was done in the Clone Wars with Dooku. Um, and I say both Clone Wars because I, I love them both in equal measure. Um, you know, going back to the stuff that was done in the in the in the um the Dark Horse comics before sort of the Clone Wars came and sort of rewrote a bit of the history as well. Um, and with Dooku, I I tried to try and mesh all three versions of the Clone Wars um, into one. Um, and yeah, so be to be part of that ongoing story of how this character was developed over years. Because basically, he doesn't do he hasn't got a major role in in the prequels. He he obviously has a major role in the events of the galaxy, but his actual screen time is quite minimal. Um, so to be part of that continuing story of how it's expanded is great. And yeah, I was, um, they're my favorite bits of Star Wars um, television for, you know, for, for a very long time. I think they're, they're beautifully done, especially as I say that third, that third episode um, was everything I wanted from it. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. I, I, I loved that one. I loved Yaddle. I love how they brought her in and, and um, like you said, explored that kind of that moment of no return which which yeah. you know that was that was something as i was um you know reading listening to um dooku jedi lost you know i i knew well okay we're not we're not exploring that but i was also trying to see you know what you were putting into that character when he was younger mm-hmm. you know in, in in your mind um you know obviously speaking off the cuff here but what is it about dooku's character that you were working with you know what what qualities does he have his you know personality that you see as um influencing him in those decisions that he makes later on i mean so i i always said at the time when i, I was doing press about the, the and when i was writing it as well that when you compare anakin and dooku you had one person yeah. in anakin who was the chosen one and, and battled against that and then dooku you had someone who wanted to be a chosen one desperately yeah. who wanted to change who wanted to be a an agent of change who wanted to you know be someone that could strive push the the jedi forward and then push the republic forward and and that was what, what palpatine used you know and that that sense of their sense of arrogance there absolutely a sense of arrogance there's a sense of being you know outside an outsider um yeah i was gr- i was so happy that lucasfilm gave me the the um the ability to really explore a relationship with his family which most jedi don't get to see you know and and to have that almost accidental but in the force is anything accidental you know um meeting of him and his sister so you get to explore more where a jedi comes from which most of the time you can't do and that obviously had to be a big part of dooku because he went back to sereno you know so he took on his new title of count um but there was a goodness in him and i think again it's that it's that classic thing of you know as people have asked over the years, if Qui-Gon had lived, would we have had Luke and, and Anakin, you know, all those years before? Would have Qui-Gon gone after Dooku to try and pull him back, you know, because there is that good in him, you know, that idea that is central to all Star Wars. And I, I think I've what I've loved about all the different Dooku stories is that you've seen that. Um, mm-hmm. In the Clone Wars, the, my, one of my favourite episodes is when um, Ventress, who is in all my favourite episodes of the Clone Wars, is, you know, shot down and 
Palpatine says to to Dooku, leave her, you know, and and you can see there's real trauma going on behind Dooku's eyes. It's like that's his apprentice, and that's someone that he actually, okay, they've not got the greatest of relationships, but there is still a honor there between them, you know, yeah. and and. And again, we saw that in, and I'm desperately trying not to say what happens in that third episode of, of, of Tales of the Jedi, but you see that moment where he realizes what he's got to do. And then there's pain there because, you know, this wasn't a man who was brought up as a Jedi. You know, this was yeah. a man who was respected as a Jedi. The Jedi are really shocked when he's turned out to be, you know, it turns out to be um, who he becomes yeah. because, you know, he had a very long career. And that's one of the challenges of De Jedi Lost is that we were dealing with someone, you know, he was in his 70s when he left the Jedi Order, you know. So, um, and that's the reason why the Jedi, they've never really had, I don't think we've ever really seen them have that kind of relationship. They don't really believe he's gone, you know, even when yeah. he's gone, you know. And we see that in the Padawan novel, you know, um, that's come out recently, um, that, you know, they still invite him to the temple they still call him master you know as an honorific because for them he's still you know yoda lets him keep his weapon because yeah. in yoda's mind he will come back um and so that's the tragedy of um of of, of dooku um and the tragedy of the jedi at the time absolutely i mean and again i have such a love for the politics i mean mm -hmm. when i look at dooku I see someone who he's so idealistic and we don't often mm. think of him in those terms, but you know, he, he has, he's got an ego for sure, but mm. he's also got these feelings of, of something's not right, but we can make it better. And mm. it's always been, I, I, what I desperately want is novels or TV shows, something that explores the separatists during the clone wars. I mm. love the, I love the couple of episodes that we have of what, uh, with a, Mina Bonteri and mm. kind of exploring the fact that the separatists actually have some pretty legitimate concerns about the Republic and the representation in it. And so when you see Dooku and, you know, I, I don't think that we've explored too much about Dooku's um, rise and, and um, uh, you know, to leadership of the separatists, mm. but obviously he finds himself in that place. And this is a man who really sees that his homeworld needs help. He sees that the galaxy needs help. And then <laughs> he also finds himself as, as Sidious's apprentice. But it just, when I look at him, I, I, it, it makes me think of the saying where like behind every cynic is an idealist who's been hurt. And yeah, he was no, very hurt. Yeah, he yeah. was very hurt, and and, th and that led to him changing his life in ways that uh, you know the Jedi didn't expect. But it just strikes me that 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 is a real part of the the tragedy of the character. There's so many in in the Star Wars saga. There's so many sliding door moments, and I would love to see a version of the galaxy when actually Dooku wasn't didn't fall to the Sith, but still became the, the leader of the Separatists. You know, what would that galaxy have looked like? You know. Would there have been a point where, you know, he the Separatists would be welcomed into a new version of the Senate and he would have been Chancellor? You know, I mean, yep. those are the questions that I think we all love. Those are the what ifs that I think we all want to see. And yeah, I mean, the Separatists are often, because of the kind of stories you see, treating as the big baddies, you know. But, you know, again, there's, there'd be a lot of people who would actually go, well, this isn't a bad thing, you know. And we don't we don't always delve into those kind of people, you know, on a political level who actually would have supported it for genuine reasons and and would have been appalled that their leader happened to be a Sith. You know, it's yeah. um and and again it's the tragedy of you know Dooku is that and and also it's a 
an example of how these things can be manipulated. He doesn't look like a Sith. He has no Sith eyes. You know, he's he's managed to keep himself looking human, Serenian. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's so many levels to that character. And again, I, I'd love to really get into a story about how he does that. How doesn't he get Sith eyes? You know, it's like they're... There, you know, is that because he hasn't done stuff that Anakin's done? You know, is it because you know there's so many stories we've got we can tell with Dooku? Mm. I think he's got such a rich history, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that you know I'd love to tell some more, and I'm looking forward to see other people tell them in the future. Well, I'd love that as well. Um, just one more little uh, question here, nothing <laughs> big, just the Jedi code and uh, attachment. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I've I've heard you talk about how um, uh, you see a lot in the Jedi that we see in um, the Templar Knights and mm. and other you know um, people in history. You know, the Templars especially this kind of th this this strange amalgamation of of a religious order who finds themselves as warriors who find themselves as protectors of pilgrims in the Holy Land and and I'm just wondering, you know, when. I, I believe you said you have a, a degree in uh, uh, theology, religious studies yeah. or something. Is that right? Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of my background as well. And again, really shapes the way that I view a lot of this content. Um, you know, what what is it about, um, you know, your perspective and, uh, you know, either on on um, history itself, you know, some, you know, um, um, inspirations in history or just how you look at the Jedi in general you know how how do you see that um, those beliefs that code really shaping these characters and and how do you see um, you know we, we talk so much about what the code allows for mm. and uh, it's it's so fun to see how that's being played out in in um, the High Republic do you think that there was ever a time when the Jedi were basically um in unity about what the code allowed for or has it always been a really ambiguous thing i don't know if there's a, any point in history that any religious organization has ever been in unity about their doctrines and their code and i think yeah i mean i have talked about the templars before um because obviously george lucas's inspiration you know was samurai and, and, and eastern religions um and that's obviously right at the heart of that code, you know, and right at the heart of the teachings about attachments as well. But um, I have what I hope is quite a healthy distrust of organized religion and one, you know, um, I'm fascinated by it when you get doctrine and organization together, you know, and, and principles and wealth um, and power, all kinds of interesting things happen. And I think that's what we see in the Jedi Order. I mean. The Jedi Order, by their very nature, you know, they are they are the equivalent of a big religious monastic order that that stretch across the galaxy. It has big temples that people give them space in. They, and so that's what, again, why it's always chimed me. The more I learned about the Templars, the more I thought, well, that's interesting because that's pretty much where the Jedi are, where we see them in the prequels, you know. And, um, and obviously there's lots. I don't want to bore people because I do get carried away about the Templars. But there is, you know, there's a lot of... Um, 
parallels with you know after the templars were disbanded and you know there's all the theories about why were they disbanded is it because they were rich is it because they were worshiping the devil is the fact they were worshiping the devil propaganda for those who wanted their money um and there was a lot of people who looked at the rituals and again we don't know that's the great thing about the templars that's why you can do so much with them in fiction because it's the dark ages so you know so much has been lost um I live in Bristol in the UK and there's entire areas called Temple This and Temple That because of the Templars. But no one really knows where the stuff is in Bristol that belongs to the Templars. Um, and because of that, the parallels between, you know, the Emperor suddenly turn around and say, and the Jedi, you know, they were awful and they did this to my face and they, they were the reason we had all that battle and, and people start believing it. There's so many parallels. Um, and yeah, it's something I've been able to explore a bit more in the second phase of the High Republic when dealing with Jeddah and all those different religions and in, on, on Jeddah itself with all these, two, you know, rubbing shoulders and not necessarily very happily. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And you do wonder, and that's why what I've loved what we've been able to do with the High Republic is that we, we have been able to deal with individuals interpreting the code. You know, at a time where there are so many more Jedi and they're out there. And what was really important for me is that they're not all just hiding behind temple walls. They're living out with the people. They're, yeah. they're uh, walking with the people. They're talking to people. The people know them. They, you know, we've got Jedi and, you know, a lot of people have been joking about the food side of the High Republic. But, you know, again, it's, it's a way that you can, it's a shorthand for showing how people experience travel and that kind of thing. So you've got Jedi and there's a, a bit in the rising storm when they they talk the Jedi visit Valor and start talking about the food because that's the first thing they experience you know they go out and they try things so they're not just being like we're Jedi we do this you know you keep away from us they go out there and they experience and they, you know and they will be they will kneel down in front of kids and they will talk to them and they will you know find out about other people's um other people's rituals and their traditions and perhaps adopt some of those into their own traditions as well which is exactly what organized religion does it you know especially the christian church especially over here in the uk and europe just adopted everything <laughs> you know it was just that you know they christianized so much um all our festivals and you know actual churches and, and the sites where the churches are um which again you see a little bit in star wars that most of the temples are either mm -hmm. built on a on a sith land you know or on a sith temple or, you know exactly what the christians did they, where there was a pagan site or meeting of the ley lines or whatever you want to believe they slapped a church on top of it um and so the parallels are, are, are have always been there as far as i'm concerned um and then you add the sort of like the wider global influences that george brought in and again i go always go back to george lucas when he talks about attachment you know he he talked in the past about jedi can love you know jedi can you know can have friendships jedi can have relationships it's whether they're willing to put that aside for the for the cause you know whether they're willing to put that aside for service um which for me is you know the what i see is the true nature of the the uh, the attachment it's not the jedi can't feel it's not the jedi can't have friends um and we see you know in anakin and obi-wan you know people who literally say they're brothers to each other you know there is a, a, there is familial love expressed quite openly there um but at the same point they've got to be willing to walk away um if they if they need to protect someone else um and i think that's what that's what the attachment um the attachment rule means to me in the same way you know that 
your big sort of characters like Superman, Captain America, all those kind of characters, those big heroes, King Arthur, you know, they're always willing to put the put the needs of other people above their own um, and and do the right thing. And so that for me is what the the um, what that attachment rule means. And I spent on, you know, it, it, I don't think I got that originally when I was a fan. You know, it's taken mm -hmm. years to actually work through it and actually see that's what it should be. Yeah, I echo that. That it, that took me a very long time to see mm. as well. There's there's a lot of research that goes into it, but I just love how um, um, you you guys have handled it. And especially the first couple of books of the of phase one of the High Republic, I started to realize like, oh, this is this is being handled in such a nuanced way, and I just love it so much. Excellent. Uh, well, I could speak with, with you uh, forever about uh, publishing and history and all, and uh, all of these types of things. But um, just as a as a parting question, as we let you go here, uh, you know, feel mm -hmm. free to let people know where they can find you, how to keep in touch. Um, but uh, you know, I'm just curious, what keeps you excited? What keeps you excited about your work? What keeps you excited about the uh, about Star Wars and the other franchises that you work for? What gets you up in the morning? I think it's the it's creation you know one of the things I do if I am struggling um because we all struggle in our jobs and jobs can some days be jobs you know and, and I always try and keep in mind that my job is what I loved when I was 10 and so that's great um but there are days when you get up and you realize today I've got to do this um and I go back so like last week I watched um I watched the Mike Mignola make you know the, the Mike Mignola documentary that came out earlier on in the year and, and to find out what other people do when they create and so I'm a yeah um making of documentaries on DVDs and, and and streaming and filmed and you know books about how people create that's what keeps me um, motivated to create my own own things um and yeah creative people like being around other creative people and and like to learn I think that they should um, like to learn how other people create. Um, the first part of that question, how do people find me? Well, um, my, probably the best thing is my website, kevinscott.com. I mean, there is Twitter, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows what's going on there? Um, I, I'm still there. I'm at Kevin Scott um, at Twitter on Instagram. I'm at Kevin Scott writer. Um, I've set up a Mastodon account, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm not even going to say what that is yet, because who does that? We're in, you know, it's the Wild West at the minute. It's burning around us, but it's all fine. Um, but yeah, probably go to my website and then you can find where I am at the minute, probably. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm no, so for excited for people to be able to, to hear this. And it's just been such a pleasure. No, thanks for having me. It's been great to talk about all this stuff. Well, um, I can't wait to see what you've got coming down the pipeline. So much more to talk about, but um, um, to our listeners, thank you so much for, for uh, listening in. Please feel free to uh, share this and find, um, find Rule the Galaxy on all of these various platforms. Hopefully Twitter will still be there for that too. So um, <laughs> Kevin, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank, thank you, you so much for tuning in and may the force be with you. Mm -hmm.